Hello and welcome to the News Roundup from FITV. I'm Catherine Daniels. And I'm Tyron Henry. Coming up on this week's podcast, Camp Education Funding, Recognition for the Tourist Industry and an Island-Wide Award. On Thursday, EXO approved further changes to quarantine measures in the Falklands for those arriving via the airbridge. Those who are fully vaccinated and can prove that they are can take part in a five-day test-to-release scheme, where if their COVID tests are on day two and day five are negative, they can leave quarantine. Those who are partially vaccinated, unvaccinated or travelling with children can participate in the eight-day test-to-release scheme. This has been put in place since June 3rd. Both these schemes are voluntary. If people do not wish to take part in them, they will have to undertake the full 14-day quarantine. If people test positive, then they will still have to complete the 14 days quarantine and may have to isolate further. The changes will come into effect from the 19th of July. The quarantine measures for people arriving via sea will stay the same. However, these are also under review. In the summary court on Wednesday, Ian Mackay appeared to make an application to remove his disqualification from driving. Mr Mackay was convicted on the 25th of August last year of driving with excess alcohol and was disqualified from driving for 12 months. Appearing in court on Wednesday, he spoke to explain that he had been using taxis to get around, but this causes difficulties with work. The justices of the peace approved the application saying that Mr Mackay had learned his lesson and that they took into account that he was actively trying to improve his situation. His disqualification will be lifted from the 1st of August this year. Two other cases were heard in court on Wednesday. Here's Johnny with more. Jubilani Matassa appeared in front of the Justice of the Peace on Wednesday, charged with one offence of possessing false documents. He pleaded guilty to this charge. Crown Counsel Mr Stuart Walker explained that on the 2nd of December 2019, Mr Matassa was issued with a Falcon Islands driving licence, for which he had exchanged his Zimbabwean licence. This year, following a police investigation into false documents, Zimbabwean officials confirmed that Mr Matassa's documents were false. Representing himself, Mr Matassa spoke to say that he had a provisional licence and had taken a driving test, but he was told he had not passed. He went on to explain that he received the fake licence after arriving in the Falklands, and although he asked the sender if it was genuine, he knew it was fake. The Justice of the Peace fined Mr Matassa £425 and ordered him to pay £150 court costs an application for the forfeiture and destruction of the fake documents was also granted. Also appearing in the summary court was Michael Goodwin, who was charged with one case of driving with excess alcohol. On the 23rd of May this year, police officers stopped Mr Goodwin after he was seen driving erratically. He failed a roadside breathalyser test and was taken to the police station. Once there, he provided two further breath specimens, which read 40 micrograms of alcohol, the legal limit being 35. Speaking to explain that the evening, Mr Goodwin said that he had attended the Mayball after having a beer at home and had no more than five beers while there. After an evening of dancing, he was asked to give some people a lift home. Because he thought he was under the legal lim- limits and it was a cold night, he agreed. However, he went on to say that he agrees he was over the limit. When sentencing, the Justice of the Peace said that Mr Goodwin had made an error of judgment in driving friends home. He was disqualified from driving for 12 months, given a fine of £324 and ordered to pay court costs of £150. During Farmers Week, questions were asked to MLAs about issues surrounding camp education, with parents expressing their concerns about the difference in quality of education between camp and Stanley. We asked portfolio holder for education and community, MLA Stacey Bragger, what is being done about these concerns. So at the moment, um, an important piece of work that's being led by the executive head, Karen Steen, is uh, taking place. And um, for me, that's the, um, 
the opportunity to address some concerns that have been expressed recently and uh, to make sure there's clarity both for the department and the and the teaching staff as well as the families in, in camp. So um, that's um, ongoing at the moment. During Farmers Week, um, opportunities were, um, were available for camp parents to come and uh, talk to the executive head. So they'll be coming forward in a uh, paper to be discussed at the Education Board in August. Camp education is a integral and a vital part of the Education Directorate and um, we uh, feel now is the opportunity to, to review where we are, what can be done better in the future and to address some of the concerns that have been expressed. So that'll be coming forward and I'm sure will be a subject of uh, great debate. Parents have also been fundraising recently to raise money for interactive whiteboards in camp schools as they have claimed FIG refused to fund them. Plans have since been announced to set up an organisation to help fund resources for camp schools. We also asked Emily Braga about the funding for camp schools. Um, so basically um, there wasn't a, a, a formal request in the, in the last budget for that, but it's something that, um, that camp parents uh, decided that they'd like to see. So um, fundraising has uh, taken place and uh, congratulations to them for, for making that happen. I think when it comes to the interactive whiteboards, it's a bit of a, a different context, whereas in they're, they're a teaching tool for, for larger groups, so um, whilst they're, they're used in the, the Infant and Junior School and, and fixed to, to classes of 20, 30 students, there's a, a different context where it's um, in, a, in a camp setting of a, a handful of children where they have um, individual laptops. So uh, it was felt that there are alternatives already in place. So it, it certainly wasn't a case of um, the desire or the, the la lack of will for, for them to be funded, it was just that they're already alternative arrangements in place. I think if you were to break down the, the IT allocation for Infant Junior School fix, I think it would, it would come out that there's a bigger spend per head for um, camp education. So from, for us, that's certainly not the case, that there's a, a lack of will to, to properly fund um, camp education IT needs. In a letter to FIG's policy department, Chair of the Chamber of Commerce, Mike Summers, has criticised the recently released Labour Force Development Report, the letter claims that the report is too government-focused and does not adequately address the needs of the private sector. The report was released as part of a background research to help develop a labour force development strategy. Here is Mike Summers explaining his concerns. The labour force development report was, uh, was too narrowly focused and, and, um, and dealt with issues of detail um, that are not particularly relevant to the, to the whole community. It was very inwardly focused, it was very government-focused. Uh, it's not really where we are. We need now to come back to the table again to talk with the government about what they're planning to do to create an overall strategy for, for workforce development and, and, and make, the, uh, make the private sector inputs in, into that. So it is, it is part of a continuing dialogue, uh, but this really was to, was to set on record our view about the need for a, a, a more overarching strategy and the need for a dialogue, frankly, with the community about, about population growth. Director of Policy and Economic Development Andrew Gall was unavailable for interview but did send us the following statement. As part of an ongoing policy development work, representatives from the Policy Department met with the Chamber of Commerce to discuss a background research report relating to labour force development in the islands. The discussion was interesting and informative and FIG looks forward to continuing engagement with the Chamber on matters of importance to the business community. The Falkland Islands have been inducted into the Green Destination's Top 100 Destination Sustainability Stories. 
This is a competition that looks at the regional destinations around the world that are taking small steps towards a globally sustainable tourism industry. Executive Director of the Falkland Islands Tourist Board, Stephanie Middleton, explains how this came about and what it will mean for the future of Falklands tourism. So at the moment um, the Tourist Board do um, a Green Seal accreditation uh, certification for, uh, to encourage people to do sustainable tourism. Um, so on the back of that we thought it was time to start looking at um, getting ourselves accredited as a, a green destination. So we went to a, um, an organisation called Green Destinations. So we had to reach the minimum criteria to get into the top 100 and we were very successful in doing that. It's things about uh, waste management, uh, renewable energies, um, just best practices for sustainable tourism. And um, you don't have to fulfil all that criteria, it's whether your destination is working towards it. Staying with tourism, this week His Excellency the Governor held a reception for the annual tourism awards. The 2020-21 season was one with a difference that faced ups and downs with the lack of international tourists and the subsequent success of the trip scheme. Ricky Evans and the Pebble Island Lodge were the big winners of the night, picking up four out of eight awards. We caught up with Ricky on the night. It's a surprisingly good year really, I guess, because of trip. If hadn't been for the trip scheme, we probably wouldn't have opened. So it certainly goes to show what impact that had on, on us anyway. How are you feeling right now? Are you feeling ecstatic, over the moon? Oh yeah, pretty surprised. I certainly wasn't expecting that. You know, just do the same old thing we do every other year. So We were close to uh, capacity of a normal season really. Not, not too far below, but shortage of staff. So it's probably harder work for us. Especially but the missus, she had to do all the cooking. <laughs> The Infant and Junior School have been performing their most recent play to family and friends. We went to watch the dress rehearsal and caught up with one of the directors, Nick Southgate, about how preparations are going on. So the play is based on a very loose version of Romeo and Juliet. It's called Romeo and Juliet Rebooted. And uh, we put in a few things, a few little maybe a little bit of Monty Python that people might notice. There's a little bit of uh, humour as well as it's a tragedy. We try to keep it a bit light. Obviously our main audience is a school audience. So we don't want children, young children, to see two people dying on a stage in a violent manner. We want that to be kind of humorous, so we add a bit of light to that. We've got a whole team of people organising the play. So writing it, adding bits to it, making sure that every child can get up if they wish to and perform. It was school with a difference for the Year Nines at Fix on Monday morning as they received a special visit from the Welsh Guards. Captain Sebastian Ward explained to us why his platoon had made the trip to Stanley to see the students. Today um, we've been asked to come down to the school uh, and put on a morning for the Year 9s. Um, we're putting on a range of activities, so we are doing some command tasks uh, to try and bring out some potential uh, leadership development for the guys. Uh, we have our core of drums here, so they're doing a bit of, uh, bit of a performance with their drums and also teaching them some drill. Uh, we have a lesson on camouflage and concealment and we have a TCV demonstration which is a 
um, tube carrying vehicle uh, which is doing laps of Stanley uh, and also weapon stand showing some of our heavier weapons. I think it's good for two reasons. I think firstly it's exposure to the armed forces. Uh, a lot of people probably less so in the Falklands, um, but uh, a lot of people don't have exposure to the armed forces at all. Um, and it shows our kind of maybe more human side um, and that we are uh, a bit more accessible and teaching them uh, a bit about our job and our role and stuff like that. Um, and secondly, I think it's good, it's good fun. It brings out leadership characteristics and potential of some children. Uh, we've seen on the command task, some people will take control very easily and others might realize the need to develop a little bit. But it wasn't just the Welsh Guards providing different lessons because last Friday staff and students at FIX pulled on their running shoes as the whole school completed the International Island Games Association 5K Challenge. The school was aiming to record the biggest concentrated effort of the international fun run and submitted an impressive 195 participants. FIX principal Anthony Walker told us how proud he was of his students for organising the event. I'm currently walking at the back end of, of year seven, just making sure that everybody's safe as we do a, a loop around uh, up to Sappers Hill and back around uh, the new road down to the uh, down to Ross Road West. My understanding is that uh, in the uh, other islands involved in the games, the events are being run virtually. Obviously, we've got the luxury here of being able to do it uh, in reality on a Friday afternoon, and uh, it just goes back to our magnificent students who wanted to inspire us to do this. Huge congratulations to everyone who took part and clocked a 5K time. The final confirmation from the IIGA is that the Falkland Islands had the most participants island-wide. And a big shout-out to Brendan Lee, who was the highest Falklands finisher in fifth place out of 615 competitors. A huge result. Staying with sport, there's been quite a lot of movement in Week 9 of the Darts League, with Scuds and Mitzfits both moving down a place in the table. Rosellas faced a 2-13 defeat to Tons of Bull, meaning they were the biggest movers dropping from 7th in the table to 9th. Otto's Outlaws are still sat at the top of the league, though, after beating Scuds 12-3. That's it for this week's News Roundup. If you would like to subscribe to FITV, you can watch via the KTV Broadcasting Service or online through our website fitv.co.fk. Alongside this news roundup, we also produce a light-hearted look at the week in our podcast, Meanwhile in the Falcons, which is also available on Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud. Join us next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.